on a light note to start with. Two naughty children had stretched the patience of their teachers and the head to the limit. It seemed that every time something went wrong or the pupils did something they shouldn't have done, these two boys were involved. The head decided to enlist the help of the school chaplain. The chaplain called the first boy into his study. He wanted to make the boy aware that whatever he did, God was always watching them. Where is God? asked the chaplain. The boy didn't answer. Where is God? asked the chaplain a second time. And again, the boy didn't answer. The chaplain asked the same question again, only a little more forcibly. At this, the boy jumped up and ran out of the study. As he passed his friend who was waiting outside the door, he said, now we're really in trouble. God's gone missing and they think we did it. <laughs> the reason I told you the joke will already be clear. We know where God is. And today, as we've just heard Paul read, we're looking at Exodus 25, verses 1 to 8, and Exodus 31, verses 1 to 11. Chris, just going to give us another one. First one, please. Yep. Thank you. Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. So we're looking at building God's dwelling place. Um, and in our first passage, we have God giving Moses very clear instructions about the building of the tabernacle. And in a way, it parallels the account of creation. I'm just going to reread uh, one bit. God says to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. And God then lists the offerings. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Just going to move this. So here we have the um, Israelites in the desert. Um, and when I first started reading this, I thought, well, where did they get all the stuff from? All this lovely, you know, fine wool, linen, yarn, bronze. And then, of course, I, if we look back in Exodus 12, verse 36, we read that God made the Egyptians, Egyptians favorably disposed towards the Israelites and that they gave them what they asked for. And so the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. So that's where it all came from. 
they'd already been provided with what was needed to build the tabernacle. And God, one of the names of God is that he is the Lord, our provider. He sees before we ask. And he does the same for us nowadays. He provides for us in ways we see and in ways we don't see. He is faithful. And we read later that the people were so moved to give, they had to be told that they had brought enough offerings. Have we been moved to bring many offerings? Have we been lavish in our offerings to God in response to his kindness and goodness? In the building of the tabernacle, God wanted his people to know that he was with them. The tabernacle was the center of the Israelite community. Um, it was his dwelling place. And the Israelites had witnessed God's presence on Mount Sinai, we know. Um, and they were very fearful, but he was distant. And the contrast of this, this situation now is that there is a physical building or tent uh, in, in, right in the midst of their camp. And it was, in effect, a portable temple so that it could be taken apart and then put back together. So whenever they moved, they could pack it up. I mean, can you imagine packing up something of that size and then moving? I mean, when you really read these things, as I've had to recently, you know, things are so familiar. But when you really start reading them and thinking and pondering what it must have been like, it's mind-blowing. But they did it. Um, so it was used as a portable temple uh, until Solomon fixed the temple, built the temple. And as far as I know, that once the Israel, people of Israel arrived at the place God had chosen for them, we don't seem to hear about the um, tent at all. Again, it seems to have just gone because it wasn't needed then. So when God spoke to Moses about the building of his tabernacle of meeting tent of meeting he told Moses to keep to the pattern he'd been shown and to me that's really important um, if God gives a vision for something we mustn't tweak or change it we need to do exactly as we're told and sometimes it might seem odd but afterwards we can look back and see the fruit of obedience to instructions if Noah had changed God's pattern for the ark I'll leave that up to your imagination. Um, the camps were arranged in such a way round the tabernacle that, and the tents that each of the tribes of Israel could look onto it and know that God was there. And that must have been reassuring because it was a focal point to remind the people that God was leading them, guiding them, and watching over them. And their lives seemed to be organized round God. There's a distinct difference between looking at someone from afar and having them with you. I have pictures of one of my sisters who's died, um, and I can look at them, but it's not the same as having her presence physically with me. And I wonder what, um, what visual reminders we have as Christians. There are some, obviously the cross, um, but what do people wear as Christians? Some people wear a cross. Some people wear a bangle or a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? Um, 
we need to have reminders, don't we? Um, I think the one of what would Jesus do is very, uh, a very good one to look at because through the days we can glance at it and think, well, what, how, would, how should I react here? What would Jesus do in this situation? And there can be that arrow prayer. Um, and f- from the creation of the world, God's desire has been to be with us. He's not a distant, harsh God. I, I, I think, you know, when we were worshipping this morning, I was nearly bursting because he's just marvellous. He's indescribable. He's overwhelming. He, you, you know, how do you... You can't box somebody like that in a, in a building. He's vast. He's beyond description. And he wants to communicate with us. When's the last time you heard him speak to you? I wonder. When's the last time I heard him speak to me? Sometimes it's important to keep journals of um, crucial things that happen in our lives, perhaps where we've prayed and we've seen God speak very directly. Write it down, because at times when you're feeling a bit low or lost, you can look back and be encouraged and think, yes, he's done that once before, he can do it again. And I think it's important to note that what we read earlier, that, the, that God lets the people give their hearts as their hearts were moved. They weren't under compulsion. We have freedom of choice with our God and how satisfying it is when we choose his way over our own. I think most of you know the story about us moving to Somerset. We didn't want a project, we didn't want a thatched cottage, and certainly not a listed one. Did we, Robbie? (laughs) But we got all that, and now that most of it's done, we're very happy. The walls are painted, the curtains are up, and it's very much our dwelling place. Is this on? Oh. Um, Uh, But the final major thing that we've got to do um, is that we've got to have one side of it rethatched, which we really don't look forward to. And that needs a specialist craftsman. I mean, when you watch Thatchers, it's incredible. But I'm sure we're going to have a nice lot of mess, but then I won't dust for weeks, so that doesn't matter. Um, So so we've got this Thatcher coming, this this craftsman. And... um, we're now going to look at Exodus 31, verses 1 to 11, where God chooses a specific person and places the gift of creativity into him. Um, and this is, um, he was chosen to create God's tabernacle, his tent of meeting, and it's the first mention of Bezalel, the skilled craftsman. So God has placed his spirit in Bezalel um, to create the dwelling place. And the good news is that he's not alone, but has a holy ab, is that right? (laughs) To support him. I wonder what God has gifted you with. And do you know who he's placed alongside you as a helper? When I look at Laurie, I can see the gift of a pastor. And Karen is his support. So often, 
she pops up to offer some sort of help, done very quietly and subtly, but faithfully. And I think that's why Bezalel was provided with Ahiliab. In fact, not many people throughout, throughout the Bible are called to do things on their own. And as we know, Jesus sent his disciples out in twos. There's safety in numbers. It's not a wise thing to go off like a loose cannon doing things for God on your own. Um, um, I've had a friend staying recently and she's, um, she goes to Israel speaking a lot and so I was telling her about this talk um, and she was saying, this will impress them. <laughs> the name Bezalel translates from Hebrew as in the shadow of God. So Be is in, Zel is shadow, El, God. And I think it's the first time we have mention of the Holy Spirit gifting someone with creativity in order to make the perfect place to meet with God. So Bezalel begins this huge task of building the tent. Um, but it's not just a tent, of course, because there are all the artifacts inside the tent and the rituals that went with them. Um, and because of doing this, I've been you know, looking, looking back and thinking of, of creation and how God wanted to have a relationship right from the beginning of time and how there was the first shedding of blood. And it's, I mean, you hear people talk of the scarlet thread running through the Bible. There's this, this um, pointing all the time to, to Jesus coming. And um, before the cross and before Jesus came, God had put these rituals um, to shadow and explain the cross and what it meant. Um, I've lost my bit of paper. I was adding bits this morning, so I, prob I might get a bit muddled doing this. Um, here we go. So, I'm just going to list some of, some of them. There was the Ark of Testimony. Um, and there were important reminders put inside the Ark of Testimony by the priests as reminders for the people that they could approach God. So there was a bowl of manna. And when the people could see the manna, they could remember and reflect that God had provided food for them in the desert. Um, Aaron's rod was put inside. And that was to remind them that Aaron's descendants had been given the task of leading worship and how God invites his people to draw near to worship and possibly reminded them not to grumble in that that would affect their intimacy with God. The lampstand, this was to remind them that God is light and they were not to allow the light to go out ever. God was available at any time. And of course, we know that Jesus is the light of the world. There was the altar of incense. This uh, was to call to mind that God desires to hear our prayers. And in the book of Revelation, it teaches us that our prayers are sent to God like sweet incense. God longs to hear our prayers. He longs for us to communicate with him. Then there was the basin and with all the blood and dirt and dust, the priests would be able to wash themselves. It was placed between the altar and the tent of meeting. And again, this can remind us that um, there's a cleansing by Jesus. He is the only one who can offer 
real cleansing. So if we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, then the information on the tabernacle has spiritual significance to us. We're the most blessed of people in that we don't have to go through all those rituals. We come under the blood of the new covenant. We've just celebrated communion. We remember just what Jesus has released us from. Can you imagine what it must have been like in those days of sacrifice? Noise, blood, confusion, fear, and anxiety about the offerings to be brought. And in Hebrews 10, it says that it was impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus can completely cleanse us. The altar of sacrifice still exists today. It's not sitting at the entrance of the tabernacle. It's a spiritual sacrifice. We're told to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice daily. Jesus is our true tabernacle, and he was the final sacrifice once and for all. He came to us as Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And he has given us his spirit as a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance. We, as the church, now have God dwelling in us. So we had the tent of meeting, the temple, Jesus, his Holy Spirit, and we are now representatives of God dwelling amongst people. So what are we going to bring as our offering this morning? We've given some money. What about something personal? What is God saying to each one of us? Let's give him our hearts afresh today. What are the areas that hinder us coming freely and openly to God. A house or dwelling's got many rooms, hasn't it? And we can shut doors so that the rooms are closed up. It's the same with our hearts. But God wants to dwell within us in every room. And so we need to give to him afresh and willingly. Sometimes we close areas in our hearts because we felt hurt. We're wounded and it's too painful to perhaps bring to God, to allow him to heal that wound. Sometimes it's because we're afraid of what we might be asked to do. So we shut that door tight, tightly and, and think, I'm not going not gonna to think about that. Maybe it's a closed door that hides guilt. But we can come to Jesus, we can open that door and bring that guilt, fear, or hurt to him so that he can cleanse and remove it, which in turn allows light and life and a sense of freedom. Because of Jesus and his dying on the cross, as we live for him, we can have a deep sense of peace in knowing that we're never alone. And of course, in the final book of the Bible, in Revelation, we can take comfort in the truth that one day 
there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In John's book of Revelation, um, in his vision, he hears a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Maybe there's people here who need to have prayer because they know they've got a door that they've firmly closed. Please ask for prayer. You can trust people here. But God wants to speak to each one of us from what we've heard this morning. He wants to dwell deeper in our hearts. He wants us to allow him to touch those areas that we've shut up so tightly. He's a God who loves each one of us. He's a merciful God. He's a faithful God. And he loves you. And he loves me. Amen.